This is Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. We are broadcasting live from ETF Exchange, BNY Mellon's ETF Symposium in Dana Point, California. I'm Pim Fox, my co-host Kathleen Hayes. Joining us now is Marvin Lowe. He is Managing Director at BNY Mellon, and he's here to tell us more about bonds. Marvin, always a pleasure. Thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me again. What, the, what is new about bonds? Because, boy, I mean, it seems like we've been beating this forever, uh, that, you know, rates are low. We got that. And now people have to go and find something alternative, like a high-yield bond, or maybe even uh, go outside the United States and uh, look to emerging markets. What are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, there isn't um, a lot new. Yields are still low. Uh, they're not as low as they were a couple of months ago. I think what's new is that um, the commentary around what central banks may do as a next step has certainly shifted. We came out of the summer with the volatility in Brexit, really expecting, at least the investors began to expect that central banks were going to move towards the next level of accommodation. We bid up assets all around the world based on that. We pushed yields kind of back down to levels we hadn't seen in many, many years. And lo and behold, they didn't do what they said. And here we are right now with a lot of, um, with a lot of central bank meetings that are uh, welcoming us back from summer vacation. <laughs> yes. And... Uh it's a couple people now have commented today that even if the Fed were to move the key rate tomorrow, even though it's more more of a bet on December, right? That if it moves this year, it's not that big of a deal potentially. Do you agree with that for the bond market? You know what? In the grand scheme of where rates are, twenty five basis points is not a significant um, move. In terms of market psyche and the impact that U.S. rates have on many other asset classes, I think every rate hike has been significant. And I think we've seen stresses to various asset classes whenever they even talk about rate increases. You have been looking at bonds on a relative basis, correct? In other words, you can't just look at them in isolation. You have to say in relation to what? Let's say the U.S. tenure, 1.68%. Are investors taking on more risk than they really understand when they look to get yield that is greater than, let's say, 1.68%? Well, I hope they understand. Um, you know, certainly we should take our investment processes as the most important thing, or one of the, certainly one of the most important things we wind up doing. Um, there aren't a lot of choices out there, so hopefully they are conscious decisions around that. There might be... Uh, a little bit of too much comfort that the central banks are going to be able to control the volatility, if you will. But that um, investment thesis has actually worked for the last, you know, four to five years. You've had good returns across, you know, many asset classes during this period. Even though, um, kind of as as you know, the professionals in the market, we've a lot of a lot of times, you know, gone along this path begrudgingly. So, uh, what's next? We know that the we know that the Money is going to remain in the system. There's still going to be a lot of liquidity, but uh, if you're if you're trying to put together a portfolio of bonds, a lot of people have been saying short duration. A lot of people are, are a lot more in cash than they were. A lot of fund managers. Yeah. What 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 do the Marvin Lowe's of the world do? Yeah, you know, I, I I like both of those right now. I think that um kind of this steepening yield curve and discussion as to whether or not the next step for monetary policy is to get 
to a more steeper yield curve um, plays into that lower duration type of discussion. I think um, in the U.S. we've seen um, uh, the CP markets and, and the LIBOR markets really increase their rates with money market reform. So there are alternatives uh, around there which didn't exist uh, before. And you know, really, uh, from a valuation perspective, if you're you know holding on to your fundamental um, analysis with uh, DCFs and you know however you evaluate uh, some of this corporate paper that's out there. Um, maybe a greater allocation to cash does make sense because uh, valuations are high by historical standards. Who's on the other side of the trade when you're, you're selling these bonds at such low interest rates? Because someone eventually has got to be holding the bag, and when they ring that bell, I can't imagine that they're going to want to hold on to them. You're going to see a rush to the exits. So, you know, what's really been a challenge is that on the other side of the trade, to a larger and larger degree, have been the biggest asset holders in the world that never have to sell, that never have a margin call. And those are the central banks. And if they change um, their philosophy with regard to how they want to increase their portfolios, yeah, absolutely. It, it becomes um, a, a bit more challenging. And, and remember, um, not everyone is um, uh, is a bottom fisher. Not everyone is kind of a market timer. There are a lot of asset owners that have to own based on various mandates, you know, whether you're uh, insurance companies, whether you're just, you know, an asset allocation that kind of goes in the market. So there is a natural demand for this type of product. But when we start talking about the Bank of Japan that owns 30 to 40 percent of the JGB market, owning a larger and larger percentage of their equity markets, when you talk about the ECB running out of bonds to buy, believe it or not, running out of bonds to buy, those and are the thinking big, about buying equities. And thinking about buying other asset classes. <laughs> right. Um, that becomes um, a trade that's very powerful, and it's kind of been that type of trade that's driven a lot over the last several years. You know, one of the things that the – one of the possible scenarios for the Bank of Japan and the, and the it's like the Fed, it's kind of binary. Either they raise the rate or they don't. With the Bank of Japan, you have to make a Rubik's Cube and a diagram, right? Because they could do this and that or none of that, right? They could buy more bonds. They could buy fewer bonds. They could put a range on the, uh, you know, the, how many they're going to buy and out of a set number. But this idea that they can uh, do an operation twist, right? Yeah. That they can buy fewer bonds and steepen the yield curve while they cut the key rate a little more negative. You know, U.S. tried that a couple of times. It didn't work. Operation twist didn't work here. Would that work in Japan and achieve their desired goal? You know, interestingly, it's um, it's reverse twist, right? Because it would be uh, an attempt to steepen the, mm -hmm. the longer end of the curve. Um, it's to be seen whether or not uh, they're able to um, to get it done. I think the market would initially take it seriously because it is something different. It certainly is a move away from the paradigm that we've gotten comfortable with and, and pretty much accepted for the last uh, several years. I will say that when you look at their economy, it's hard to see them not continuing to put money into it. It's just a function of where they decide to do it and how they do it. Marvin Lowe is uh, Managing Director, BNY Mellon. We're, of course, broadcasting from the BNY Mellon ETF Symposium in Dana Point, California. Marvin, central banks, as you just described, buying all these bonds, they end up being the lenders. If they're the lenders to all of this, they don't have the same incentives that perhaps uh, institutional lenders or banks have. How does that change the market? Because if they're going to hold, how are you going to know whether you know, any of the ratings make sense or any of the cash flow projections make sense if ultimately the buyer says, I don't really care about that, I'm just buying the bonds anyway? It, it, it's changed everything already. You know, uh, the valuation discussion that we talked about, um, you know, there is no other alternative. The, you know, Tina, that's why we can get, that's why we can get valuations uh, where they are. You know, do they cause asset bubbles elsewhere just because there's no place else to go? And um, 
the liquidity in the market um, changes because they're not um, sellers in it. So, you know, everything... Um, it's a one-way trade. Everything has changed. Um, it will remain changed for a while. It's uh, We're talking, I believe, in the range of 13, 13.5 trillion in the G4 uh, central bank balance sheets um, to unwind that type of trade. You know, it's going to take a while. You know, uh, high profile, uh, Goldman Sachs in the last couple of weeks has made this call for much... Uh, much stronger dollar and yields rising, right? Uh, and, and more Fed uh, tightening over the next two or three years than a lot of other people are looking for. Uh, what do you see on that front? Because, I don't know, it seems like eventually the, the economists and the Fed will be right and yields will rise, but the bond market keeps arguing back, no, we're not, no, we don't believe it, economy's not, not that strong, and yields have not risen that much even to date. Right. I mean, to, to, to me, I still don't see... Um, the economy at a level that can support and or justify significantly higher yields. We can get higher yields, you know, like, like you know, we're talking about 25 basis points once again this year. We're belaboring it to uh, the nth degree the way we did last year. And in the grand scheme of 25 basis points, it's not that big of a deal. Having said that, we've seen asset classes get very, very stressed. And you can see a stronger dollar even if we don't get rates that much higher. We still have a certain degree of divergence amongst monetary policy. Um, but the one thing that I think we've learned over the last several years is that the stronger dollar and the dollar itself is a very important catalyst to look at in the market. Um, and it affects a lot more than just what's going on here. Do you mean that it's in, in terms of the sort of the macro effect, like a stronger dollar, weaker yen, which the Japanese need and would love to see? Or do you mean in terms of companies, tougher time, uh, you know, e exporters, strong dollar? You know, um, the market's very good at um, analyzing uh, what we know. It's what we don't that really causes the stress in the system. So when you get strong a dollar, you do see asset classes that get affected that you didn't uh, realize were as reliant on the dollar in the Give past. Give me one example in five seconds. Um, emerging market, uh, emerging market uh, debt um, in dollar terms. And that certainly saw a lot of stress right when we saw the taper tantrum. Marvin Lowe, thank you so much, covering a lot of ground for us here today. He's Managing Director, BNY Mellon, and of course, we're broadcasting live here at the BNY Mellon ETF Symposium in Dana Point, California. Kathleen Hayes, Pim Fox, this is Bloomberg.